Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Tonight is the uh, 11th class in our 26th class structured study of the Dhammapada. This, uh, this chapter is called Jaravaga, and it's a very specific uh, chapter on the essence of Vipassana as it relates to the Buddha's Dhamma. So Vipassana, as the Buddha uses the term, is not some hybrid meditation method uh, or some kind of grasping after um, insight into everything that arises and passes away. It's very specific, and it's very specific. Uh, as, we, as we covered last year in that great uh, Vipassana introspective insight study we did, uh, two to three marks of existence. And as you'll see in this sutta, the three marks of existence are really um, uh, the... It shines the light on the essence of the Dhamma and where suffering is established and where it's continued. Meaning in a, a mind rooted in ignorance, seemingly trapped in a body that it has no control over. But as you'll see in the sutta, and look for the lines when we get to it, that we are the builder of that house, meaning we are the ones that construct this fabricated view of self in relation to its impermanent environment that results in suffering. Those are the three marks. And the, the, the great wisdom that comes from that understanding is since I built the house, I can burn it down. Maybe a better, more gentle way is I can dismantle it. <laughs> We're the ones that can do it. There's so much power in that. And you also notice in this sutta that the, the, the Buddha points out directly the tools that we use to recognize that we built the house and how to gently dismantle that house, called the heartwood of the Dhamma. The Jaravaga. The world is always ablaze with the fires of passion, yet fools laugh with delight. Your mind is shrouded in darkness. Will you not see? Think about that one line, or these first two lines. Here's an awakened human being. He understands the true nature of human life. And his profound and true compassion comes through in that one line. Will you not see? Will you not see? He's not saying, follow me. Excuse me. Yeah, Kevin's joining us. Well, let Kevin come on. Hello, Kevin. Will you not see? He points to the, to the immediacy of... It's up to us. The Buddha's not saying, if you follow me, if you worship me, if you bow a thousand times to me, if you pray to me. He says, will you not see? And then he tells you what to see. The body is a painted image, a mass of injury and disease, always craving. Understand all this is impermanent. Isn't that wonderful? It's impermanent. It's up to me. I'm not locked into this. It's only because of my fabricated views of self, my misunderstanding of who I am, that caused me to build this house of ignorance. When spent, 
The body is sick and fragile. Upon death, this foul heap breaks up as death is the end of life. Another so important line in, in relation to most all of modern Buddhism that teaches that this life is mostly insignificant. What's most important is the next life. The Buddha, the awakened one, is saying, this is it. Upon death, that's the end of life. Remember all the suttas that we talk about, the immediacy of awakening. None of us know when the cow is going to trample us and end our life. We should take to the Dhamma like our hair is on fire because none of us know when that, when that, that foul heap is going to meet the end. Only fools delight in bleached bones scattered here and there, worshipping death. That's what that means, worshipping death. This body is a frame of bones plastered with flesh and blood, hiding decay, death, pride, and greed. Now, of course, when we let go of all fabricated views of self, the body is simply the vehicle that we're using to traverse through life as an awakened human being. There is nothing personal. Uh, this is just my commentary. I left it in here for a reason. There is nothing personal regarding any of the six properties that constitute a person. Remember the Datu Vibhanga Sutta, where the Buddha teaches very clearly what actually constitutes a human being. Six properties. The four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. The fifth property called the space property, and the sixth property called the consciousness property. That's it. That's all a human being is, and it's all a human being can ever be. And that's enough. When we want ourselves to be more than that six-property person, we're engaging in speculation and fabrication, and we're, we're building a house that has no foundation in reality. The finest chariots wear out, as does the body. The Buddha, listen to this line from the Buddha, my Dhamma is timeless and will make it known to others. The fool grows old in bulk alone, while continued ignorance obscures wisdom. Bulk alone doesn't just mean that our bodies get bigger. The bulk is all the things that we cling to. My new house, my new car, my new golf club, my new this, my new that, my new girlfriend, my new boyfriend, my new dog, my new toy for my dog. All of these things is growing in bulk. And what happens when we do that? Alone, while continued ignorance obscures wisdom. And it's because of clinging to the things that we're adding to ourselves that we think we need to live in this world that continues to obscure who we truly are, obscures the wisdom of the Dhamma. And so as we develop the heart of the Dhamma and start letting go of all these things that we're clinging to, literally one by one, the Kajaniya Sutta, letting go of fabrications one after another, this is how we do it. And it doesn't mean that we end up, it doesn't mean that we end up with nothing. It means that we, we end up free of everything. What's left is simply what's left. The fool grows old in bulk alone while continued ignorance obscures wisdom. I too wandered in vain, not knowing the builder of my house, meaning this life. This is indeed suffering, not knowing who built your house, not knowing who caused all this pain and suffering in your life. It's us as individuals. It's not the world. It's not my next door neighbor. It's not current events. It's not this president or the next president. It's not, has no relation at all to external conditions. It's entirely up to me how I feel about myself in relation to the world. And if I let go of all fabricated views of who I must be, then I can be who I truly am, an awakened human being, a fully mature human being. 
Ignorance, the house builder, you are now seen. Ignorance. Remember how dependent origination starts. From ignorance of four noble truths comes fabrications. From fabrications of who we are in relation to the world comes the whole mass of suffering. Ignorance, the house builder, you are now seen. I understand that it's ignorance. Ignorance of what? Ignorance of four noble truths. What does four noble truths state? As a consequence of human life, there's going to be suffering. Immediately, the Buddha is teaching us the radical acceptance that he understood. As a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be things along the way that are unpleasant. And if I do not take them personally, I'll simply take another breath and move into the next life experience in a completely impersonal way, without the fires of passion, how the Buddha started this chapter. Ignorance will no longer build my house. Your rafters are broken, your ridgepole destroyed. My mind is free of ignorance. Craving has ended. Ignoring the heartwood of my Dhamma, there is nothing of value gained. We talked about this last week, too, and that last week's sutta related particularly well to this. Adding or adapting or accommodating the Buddha's Dhamma in any way negates the Dhamma. Ignorance, ignoring the heartwood of, of my Dhamma, there is nothing of value gained. As soon as we attach anything to the Dhamma, whether it's a fabricated belief in emptiness or believing that we should engage in rituals or prayers or visualizations or any of the other modern adaptations or embellishments to the Dhamma, we've lost the Dhamma. There is no Dhamma with, with, with any lack of purity to the heartwood of the Dhamma. That's what that line, line means. The Buddha taught an eightfold path, not a ninefold path, not a sixfold path, not a onefold path. And when I say a onefold path, I'm referring to the idea that it's meditation alone or mind only alone. The Buddha never taught anything like that, David. I just barely saw you, by the way, so no. next time you can holler if you need to. Isn't it also, it's a denial of the second noble truth. Yes, yes. What, what David is referring to, the second noble truth, craving originates and clinging perpetuates ignorance. Craving for what? Craving ultimately for, for a fabricated self-establishment in the world. And once I do that, once I, the, I, I succumb to craving for something to be, for me to be other than I am, and I create that, I start building that house, now I'm clinging to that. It's such an important point. Again, you've got to be sitting here, David. And, and why do I cling to it? Why do I cling to something that causes me so much pain? Because I created it. I'm the creator. How could I not cling to it? I made it. And it's only by recognizing in myself that I, I created this out of ignorance do I have the wherewithal and the understanding to let it go because I realize there's no value in this. Even though I built it, even though I built the house, the house is a house of horrors. Let's let it go. Let me get out of here. And I'll burn it down on the way out the door. Because I know there's no value in it. And that house, the, the metaphor of the house is also the, the additional floors that we keep building on the house through fabricated practices and things that the Buddha never taught. And again, excuse me. This is not a modern um, development of fabricated dharmas. This is something that the Buddha referred to over and over again during his own dispensation while he was still here teaching. Because he noticed it in the world. He went through it in his own awakening and he saw the confusion of people in his own sangha that didn't understand that. That, that thought that uh, 
somebody down the street taught this and everybody, some of my friends like it. So let me add that into now I got a nine-fold or a ten-fold practice. You can't do it. We always want to, to compare what you see in front of you with what you used to know. Yes, yes, exactly. It's just it, it, because you want that familiarity. You want to keep that familiarity. Yep, that's where our comfort is. Even if something that is, so, that is causing us great pain, and any fabrication will, because it's familiar to us is why we cling to it. And it's familiar. The word familiar means family. It's part of us. It's part of who we are. Even though it's like foam on the ocean, there's nothing there. But we have to recognize that. Nobody can let go of something that they place value on. You just simply can't do it. But when you recognize that it's valueless, it simply vanishes, again, like foam on the ocean. But part of the discussion we had um, Saturday, uh, and again, I encourage everyone that can to listen to last Saturday's talk because it's, it's just so right on point, um, that those of us that have developed other practices, whether they're Buddhist practices or so-called spiritual or philosophical practices, and we've put some time and effort into it, we have a vested interest in maintaining those. And so, like I did when I first came to the, to the true Dhamma, I wanted to bring my fabricated notions into it and, and add the Buddha's Dhamma to that until I realized how foolish that was by reading things like this that, that started to bring some clarity into what I was doing wrong and why I was having so much trouble developing four no, something as simple as Four Noble Truths. Because I was trying to recognize fabricated dharmas with something that was based in reality, something that wasn't fabricated. Fools languish in ignorance. Like old... i got to read this again because it's such a great line. <clears throat> Fools languish in ignorance. Like old cranes in an empty pond. Old cranes in an empty pond. Excuse me. <clears throat> Think about what that means. When you picture a crane, what is it? It walks around very proud of itself, doesn't it? Like an old crane in an empty pond. There's nothing there, but you're so proud of who you are. Those who waste their lives clinging to ignorance gain nothing of value. And anything that is fabricated is rooted in ignorance. Like worn out arrows, they can only sigh over the past. Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. It's the end of the sutta. Thank you all. Uh, I just I think it's just another remarkable example, example of how this Dhammapada is such a beautiful teaching. And when you put it in the right context, uh, you can really understand the, uh, the importance of purity with the Dhamma and understand that the only thing I'm really do it, dealing with this, the only thing I'm trying to do in engaging in right effort is to understand my own ignorance. Why wouldn't I want to do it? Why, why do I have so much resistance to, my, to understanding my own ignorance? Ron pointed it out. And actually David did too. Because I'm craving for and clinging to the familiarity, familiarity of my own creation, of my own broken down house. I think people want a three noble truth practice. <laughs> I love it. That's right. I can conceptually understand there's suffering and I know there's a way out. And I know that if I follow this path, that's all good stuff, but it's not the right path it's not the right practice yeah because if you don't deeply understand the second noble truth 
you just have something that will bring happiness and pain, but no, no relief. Yep. It, it, you, thank you, David. And then, and then it's just words. Even if the, the first three noble truths are then just words, and so you'll substitute anything. Okay, the, well, the, the path is worshiping Lord Buddha, or the, the path is wor worshiping Avalokiteshvara, or anything else that we don't want to go down the whole list, because it, it's endless. And you leave out the, the most necessary part, like the Buddha pointed out. The fourth noble truth is the heartwood of the Dhamma. Whenever the Buddha uses the word heartwood, he's always referring to the Eightfold Path. That's the heartwood. That's the, that, and relate, relating that to, to trees, some trees have heartwood, some trees have sapwood. They're soft, there's of no real substance. You can't do anything with them. But so, a tree that has heartwood, you can actually build strong houses out of them. You can make something useful out of heartwood. And without understanding that second noble truth, you, you, could, you could practice the Eightfold Path, but it would be rote. Yep. You'd it, just be going through the motions without it, having a, a true ambition behind it. Yeah, and, and again, that, the, the one thing that was... It, all the years that I spent in different forms of... Modern, I'm, not, I'm not beating up modern Buddhism, by the way. It, it, I only bring it up because of the comparison to what the Buddha actually taught and, and because I lived it. I spent many, many years in modern Buddhism and I never, ever heard a teaching on Four Noble Truths, Dependent Origination, or an Eightfold Path. I heard it mentioned, but nobody... I mean, And I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of classes and, and, and all these different sashins that I went to. Nobody ever taught Four Noble Truths as the Buddha taught it. Because you can't, you can't incorporate recognizing, abandoning, craving, and clinging when what you're being taught fosters craving for and clinging to that fabrication. And unless we realize that that's what we're doing, meaning having the framework to, to see that, the Eightfold Path provides that framework, we'll never see it. We'll never let it go. But when we see the stark can't contrast between the reality of the heartwood of the Dhamma and everything else that I've created in my life, it does simply fall away because there's no, there's no substance. There's no, nothing to support it. So um, let's, go to, uh, let's go to Jane first. And, uh, Jane, how are you tonight? I'm fine, John. Um, I see myself in this. It says, I too wandered in vain, not knowing the builder of my house. Yep. I mean, I was totally miserable. Um, and I remember when I, I first started my Dhamma practice, I didn't have any uh, prior exposure to Buddhism or anything. So, I mean, for me, it was like a polar opposite of everything I had ever believed in or thought. And yet immediately... I mean, it just clicked. I mean, I knew there, there was, I don't know, a clarity or, I mean, even though I didn't understand the terms, and there was just something about it that, you know, it, it just explained a lot of things. And uh, I can't imagine going back to that other self. Yeah, <laughs> me either. Jane, if I could, and, and please tell me you'd rather not answer if it's, if it's too personal. I don't think it will be, but... Um, it, you, it, it seems to me that you rather quickly realized that the focus of the Buddha's Dhamma was within you and not without you, meaning outside of yourself. That This was a practice that you applied directly to yourself, no? That's true. Yeah. It was. And I, that's another thing I think that made it meaningful was because 
I wanted to be able to do something. Yeah, I didn't want to have to depend on somebody else to to save me or to do this. I mean, I wanted something that I could do for myself. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 that, that is the one, when I finally had that realization, that is what, um, that's what solidified my commitment to the Dhamma. When I realized this is, uh, while you were talking, I was thinking of, of different ways I used to see certain Dhamma teachers. Um, and it was mostly because they presented themselves to me in a, in, as saviors, as they needed to be worshipped and respected in a way that they didn't necessarily deserve, not meaning that they, I should be disrespectful, but they weren't teaching something that was, was of real value, yet they insisted, and even the rituals around them were geared towards almost like a fake worship and fake respect. And that's another distraction, isn't it? That's another, it's creating a scenario where I'm clinging to my view of somebody who is simply just another human being. And which is not how the, the Buddha portrayed himself always. Never, never set himself up or held himself out as anything other than a human being, a remarkable human being. But remarkable because he awakened. And that's the only, the only um, uh, appellation that he ever gave himself was just that, I'm a rightly self-awakened one. And he taught others how to do the same, become rightly self-awakened. Thanks, Jane. Josh, Thank how are you God. tonight? Hello, Josh. Oh, sorry, John. That's all right. <laughs> well, well, this little crane doesn't hear very good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you hear good enough, well enough. <laughs> well, I, I am just blown away uh, of the radical simplicity that the Buddha brought to understanding the human condition. Uh, it's true. Uh, I mean, when I croak, I'm going to croak, and that's that's it. Okay. And the and the only thing I have uh, uh, is some sort of hope that I can lose enough ignorance to to achieve some awakening before I croak. And. Uh, uh, The, the fact that, that you know uh, that there is impermanence and that causes suffering and and uh, uh, that I have this completely fabricated view of myself uh, as everybody has said tonight and, and and eloquently said about how do we escape our own minds uh, of how we perceive ourselves and, and the world around us. Uh, it, 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 it's a big bite to chew to, to take on that responsibility. But uh, uh, I believe, I believe the Buddha figured it out. And uh, uh, <laughs> I, I guess I have some trepidation just how, how, uh, how well I can do that. Thank you for the lesson. It was wonderful. Uh, thank you, Josh. I, I would say you've done a pretty good job so far of recognizing and abandoning a lot of ignorance. And you know, you mentioned something. The, the think about this: that 
how would a mind rooted in ignorance know that it's ignorant? It, it couldn't, unless it had a framework to recognize. Another way of saying it is, how would a, a mind that is completely deluded know that it's deluded? It can't, unless it has a framework to, to first place that ignorance or that delusion in a way that it can be seen, and then to provide a way out of that, to, to, to recognize ignorance. A, a, a key component of ignorance is included in the root of the word, ignore. A mind rooted in ignorance is compelled to ignore its own ignorance. That's the problem. This is what the Buddha awakened to. That was, that's his profound awakening. That was his aha moment when you, when you read the, the story of the Buddha's own awakening. And so he understood that I need a way. In fact, he considered, how can I go teach this? That's when he came up with the heartwood of the Dhamma. The heartwood, the Eightfold Path is specifically developed and practiced to recognize and abandon ignorance of myself in relation to the world I live in. The three marks. Thank you, Josh. Tof, good to see you tonight. Hey, John. Good to see you. Good to be here. You see your buddy um, Kevin joined us, huh? No, I'm on a mobile thing, so I can't see everybody. Oh. But hello to everybody that's there. Uh, great greeting tonight. Really good to hear that. Um, my own personal experience is that exact thing. I built up this architecture of what I thought would bring me happiness. And, uh, and it just turned into a, um, it turned into a lot of suffering yeah. in my life. Ah, I think Tov just lost his battery. Tof, if you get back on or you can, you can just, just holler, please. Kevin, how are you tonight? Doing well, John. Nice to see everybody. Hey, Josh. Yeah, thank you very much for the talk tonight. Uh, I'm going to sit in noble silence. Thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad you joined us. I don't know if you heard, Kevin, if you get a chance, listen to uh, Saturday's class. It was really a, kind of a special class. So Glad you joined us. Hello, David. Where's hey, David? John. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Rob, how are you? I gotta, I'm good. I can zoom you. back out before that. Um, Oh, I'm starting to really like the Dhammapada. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the images are just so, so great. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, this image of, of the house, you know, built by uh, Ignorance Incorporated. Um, and, uh, and this last one that you, you like too. Uh, the, the old cranes in the empty pond. Yeah. It's just, just such a um, such a deep image. Yeah. You know, a, a couple of basically dying birds in a in a pond that's about to lose all of its sustenance for them, and that's the end of life. Yeah, but they're still preening right to the end. Yeah, um, and and it to me it showed that the the Buddha was he was in life. Yeah. I mean, this is not. A yep. guy that was just sitting in some temple somewhere teaching everybody to come along. This guy walked the walk. He yep. was in life. And he, he, he just, I could just see him walking around northern India there, just delighting in, in, in what was in front of him. It's, it's just, you, you, you know, nobody comes up with these lions who hasn't seen it and, and, and delighted it. Um, yeah. it's, just, it's just beautiful. Uh, 
Yeah, he wasn't just a great teacher. He was, the man was a poet, you know. This, this is where you see that. Yeah. You know, these, these little flashes of, of uh, oh, I can, you know, I can use this to, 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 to convey something. Yeah. Uh, just wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. The, uh, the, the first few times I read the Dhammapada post-understanding what the Buddha was teaching, I, I knew that it, was, it had an, an incredible amount of wisdom, but because it was almost always presented as one long poem, it's lost in that. Mm -hmm. And even some of the translations were a little strange. But when you really break it down the way it was originally presented, mm -hmm. one chapter after another, it, it's just a remarkable, remarkable teaching. And you're getting to be... I think I said this to Lorna a little while ago. The Buddha, the Buddha is, is be, let me put these on so I can see all of your reactions. The Buddha is somebody who's become a real human being to all of us, hasn't he? Mm. We, yeah. we see him and we can appreciate what he's done as a human being because he's, he is authentic and he says things like this, right. you know. Uh, old cranes in an empty pond, you realize, this. yeah, this guy lived a life. And to me, after studying him, the Buddha's words all these years, he's almost like a brother to me, in, in, you know, in that kind of strange way, because I, I feel like I know him so well. And you're starting to get like that, and that, that's certainly a reference to and, that. And, and the whole idea of, of worshipping somebody like that is, is just completely alien. It is. I mean, you, you all should worship me, but that's something... <laughs> no, I mean, really... Yeah. What, what, think about that. Right, that's so profound what Ram said. The last thing I would ever want, and I'm, and it, it certainly wouldn't happen, <laughs> is to be worshipped, because that means I've failed as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've missed the point. I've made you dependent on me. I've become the familiar face to you, not well, not your own. Yeah, you let people make them make themselves dependent on, on you. I, I, yes, I've well, been, that part of, that's part of the whole ritual. Yeah, yeah, I've been through that, where, yeah. where uh, people uh, sometimes, and this was, this was a long time ago, and it was with my, my previous uh, practice, that I would be seen as, as you know, some, you know, uh, founding father of, of, of the whole thing. And, uh, and it was immediately clear to me that it was people giving up their their own power yeah. to uh, to me yeah. because it was easier to to you know to to worship well not worship but to to even admire that yeah you know even that is has has a. Uh, um, a certain fishiness to it. Oh yeah, and, and you people that are full of fear and self-loathing are very, very quick to give up their power, aren't they? Because right. now you can save them. Mm -hmm. um, there, this image popped into my head a few times tonight on the, because of the subject. Um, I'm going to change this, this story slightly because I don't want the reference to be recognized. But there was a place I used to go to regularly and um, the head teacher was always presented as a direct representative of the Buddha. Mm -hmm. And they used to go through this little ritual at the beginning of every session. Is there was a little statue, maybe you know, two feet tall, on this altar of a statue of the Buddha in this uh, wooden case. And 
before the head teacher would come in and give his teaching for the day, which is almost always from the Heart Sutra or the Lotus Sutra, they would close the door on this little cabinet hiding the Buddha statue. And it took me a while to get up the courage to ask somebody else, why do they do that? And he says, well, because now we do that because to show that the Buddha is now speaking through the teacher. It can't be right, can it? But the whole point, and I understand why they were doing it in a misguided but altruistic way because they felt like worship had to be part of, the, of their dharma. Mm. And everything the Buddha taught was don't worship anything. Just clear out your mind. Stop building a fabricated house. Hello, Julia. Hello, John. Um, I can't see my comment here. Let's see. Um, this is very, like, I feel like this is very, like, the Buddha gives a very harsh example. Um, mm. uh, you know, and, and he makes you have almost disgust. <laughs> the way he describes the words. Yeah. Uh, he, give, he makes you go experience almost disgust for you know, your material body and material world. Um, but I, I, I actually believe that it takes, it takes like a dark night in the so of the soul in order to actually experience this. You need to have experience, an experience of deep, um, uh, almost despair, despair in order to yeah. finally have this type of feeling of um, disdain and, you know, with, with the world, the impermanent world, and to recognize actually the world that it is impermanent and that you're no longer invincible. Yeah. In, so it, ta it takes that. I, I, the reason why I say that is because I, I actually experienced that. I, I think I've said this before where I had a, a car accident and I was in, in a coma for many, many hours, for like 13 hours and when I was young. And I remember when I came out, I had a different view, a complete different view of the world. Yeah. Um, before... I, before the accident, of course, I think like all young people, you feel invincible, and and you feel like you're 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 forever. Life is yeah. forever. Everything is forever. Everyone around you is forever, and and it's not. Yeah. But when you when you have this type of experience, all of a sudden you have a reality. You, you understand reality, and you understand the nature of everything. Yeah. And um, so th this kind of this kind of reading, you can understand because you understand impermanence. Yep. It's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult concept. I don't think anyone could just read it and just say, oh yeah, because the Buddha's words are so harsh. He kind of, he makes you actually go through that, um, that feeling of disgust, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, thank you. It, but it, it should be pointed out, but where it, it's, it's not disgust for humanity or for anything, except disgust for fabricated views of self in relation right. to the world. That's all. Yes. And so it's discussed for something that's not even there, really. It's just a fabrication. It, and, and more, more like discussed for your own ignorance of not yeah. recognizing that everything around you is so right is, is fabricated is, is not is not permanent is not for you know is not. Um, I, I can't I can't explain. It's very difficult. You're explaining it well, Julia. <laughs> I'm having trouble with it, but um, that's a, that's what I mean. Like yeah. that type of feeling. Yeah, it is. It 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 it's it's it, 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 it's not even it's not an aspect of self-loathing, no. which is the common human problem. It really is recognizing the the, and again, it's just a word. The disgusting way I treated myself for so many years, yes, exactly. because it is. It, it's not something that was imposed on me. I mean, you could say that the world structure is kind of geared towards 
fabrication, but it's still my responsibility. Right. It's my mind that, that I'm responsible for. Once I take to it, once I understand the that, that idea of invincibility is, is like very useful. Oh, yeah. And everybody should, should really have that, and the younger you are, the better. Exactly. You yep. do a lot of really dumb things with that idea of invincibility. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 you know, the importance of yourself. I mean, if you, if you, if you look at, you know, the, the, the wild stuff that you thought about yourself, in, even in high school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Exactly. Doing that is a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was great, Rob. Thank you. Michael, how are you tonight? Hi, John. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. I don't What's think I said thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I like a couple of lines in this. Your mind is shrouded in darkness. Again. Will you not that's, see? That's your ignorance right yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, obviously... That's the rooted ignorance and conditioned thinking, the habitual uh, actions in relation to that ignorance. Uh, I too wandered in vain, not knowing the builder of my house. And again, not knowing that ignorance is the builder of that house. So, uh, in going back to the discussion you guys had on Saturday, uh, I believe you were talking about how the Buddha referred to uh, up until the point he became awakened, he was he considers that time uh, a, a waste of life. Uh, yeah. All that the, the previous life before he became awakened was a waste of life, isn't? Yeah. Isn't that what's the way we say? Uh, right there, he kind of like I got from that uh, uh, total disenchantment with that previous existence. Yeah. And now a dispassion has formed, and now change of life, recognition of ignorance onto the Eightfold Path, which at that time for him was actually the Eightfold Path was not a fabrication. But it, uh, in his time, I guess, somewhere when he was uh, away from uh, uh, society, he developed that Eightfold Path so that he would impart it to us. So that's just all comes along with that that point in time where you recognize who's been building the house, and then you know again uh, recognizing your own ignorance and moving forward from that point on the eightfold path. Yeah. So that's what I got out of it. <laughs> well said, Michael. Thank you, Tim. How are you? Good, John. Hello, everybody. Everybody online. Um, yeah. Dhammavada, the um, Dhammapada. The I try to try to keep focused on on the main part of that of the chapter because we can really go into all aspects of the Dhamma pretty much in all these chapters that we've been reading, which is great because we can see how how they interplay. Um, one thing, the first sentence. Uh, the second one, actually, uh, the body's paint, the painted image, where he talks about always craving and understanding that all this is impermanent. That that's radical acceptance, you know, and that to me leads to that third noble truth of radical acceptance of that that we can overcome this this 
massive suffering mm-hmm. by practicing heartwood, by the heartwood, mm-hmm. by practicing Eightfold Path. Um, and I realized while reading this and going back in my notes when we talked about um, the three marks of existence that the fabricated self, not self, cannot reside in an impermanent world. The not self accepting Anicca experiences dukkha. You know, we, the more I crave and claim things that are impermanent, the more I suffer. Or not more or less, but just will continue to. Yeah. Um, and that's that cycle of those three marks of how they fit together and how they you know, play on each other and how they have to, and they're always with each other. You know, and um, to, to Michael's point, you know, or to David's point too, is through that second noble truth of understanding that that clinging and craving is what causes this mess, we can, by not passionately reacting, being dispassionate, recognizing these hindrances, which to me are, are the things that I struggle with the most. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why they're called hindrances. <laughs> <laughs> Common something hindrances. Else. And then once that the self-compassion and self-empathy can be developed or can be understood. We can rad- I can radically accept this impermanence, this thing in front of me, and accept the full path and practice it and develop it. So th- that's what I got out of this chapter. On, and all his great metaphors were just, really, you saw it, you know, when he was describing all those things. You almost can have like a chapter with a picture book next to it. <laughs> you don't even need the words. You just say, yes, that's what that is. And yeah. that's, that's the best way to ex- explain what's going on. You know, so thank you for a wonderful teaching. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, I guess the question comes down to, do I want to be an old crane in an empty pond or not? <laughs> Brett, how are you? Good, good to be here. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I think just uh, you know, letting go of the, the ignorance of either say you're saying it's the house that we made, or you know, it's just even with my thoughts or a busy mind, it's just yeah. this what I'm getting out of it is just being able to come back to your breath and then let that be enough, or you know, I don't have to be. I'm not. I'm not anything more than a sixth property, you know, person. So, yep. it's, uh, you know, so you know, all this stuff, that, my racing mind and stuff like that, and you know, just the, why don't we let them go? Is because we why don't we let go of thoughts? Is because we 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 thought them. And it's just I got that, and uh, and if, you know, I guess the mind rooting in in ignorance. Um, with, <clears throat> With, with fabrications, you know, I guess if you can see that, then that's you know easily to let go. Or, you know, at least you you, you can be able to witness that so, and let the uh, fabrications go. So good to be here. Yeah. Uh, keep on, keep on practicing. Thank you, Brett. It's just like that. You know, it's just like that. It's very, it's direct. There's nothing terribly complicated about this except our minds make it so. But that's just a that's a very useful strategy to continue ignorance, is it? To see uh, complications and um, where, where there really aren't any. It's just a, it's a very straightforward and direct path, except our minds want to continue to ignore its own ignorance.
But that's it. This, this is another suit. You hear me say it all the time, not a suit, a chapter, that it's an entire Dhamma teaching when you understand the context of the Buddhist Dhamma. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a problem with the, with the Dhammapada, the way it's usually presented as it's just one long poem. Uh, you don't have that, do you? you know, it's a, a Dharma by one or two lines. That's not it. But when you understand this and how to apply it, uh, it's just remarkable, these little chapters. So, a great class. We're going to continue our structured study um, on Saturday. Ram will be teaching a week from Saturday, mm-hmm. continuing our great teachers. Uh, I'm still hearing about uh, Kevin, Kevin's wonderful job yeah. he did, too. Yeah. <laughs> they are, Kevin. People people are talking. Uh, we'll finish as we always do with the... Uh, Movie rights are coming up. <laughs> we're gonna, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. These are the Buddha's words on Meta from the Karaniya Meta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing and gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.